What's up, it's Marvin of the Miles Ahead Podcast. For today's episode, I brought on my first guest by the name of Mike Cologne. We basically discussed a review of the overall key playoff games from last season, as well as given our preview and our predictions for this up and coming season for 2021. So enjoy the great dialogue, but first, here is a commercial break. What's up? It's Marvin of the Miles Ahead Podcast. For today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. We have a guest on the show, my first guest, by the name of Mike Cologne. We went to college together. And he's very talented. He has his own podcast by the name of Mike in New Haven. It's available on various different platforms. And matter of fact, I want to hear from Mike. Um, let's see what he has to say about himself. Um, well, yeah, very, uh, very happy to be on the show, Marvin. Um, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, uh, I am Mike Cologne. We hate him and I, um, meeting Marvin and I, of course, uh, went to uh, college together. We had the good fortune of being classmates. Uh, well, we're not classmates. I don't think we were ever in the same class together, but um, we were um, definitely, we saw each other often, talked a lot of sports in the library with a lot of the other guys and uh, some great times and some interesting discussions for sure. I do indeed have my own show. It is uh, the Mike the New Haven podcast. Uh, it's available, as, as Marvin said, on various uh, platforms you can get it just about anywhere and uh, marvin was actually this is the second half of a crossover marvin uh, was on uh, my show the other day breaking down the nba and if you want to go check that episode out before you listen to this one just so you can get a sense of what we discussed uh, you can go check it out it is mike in new haven m-i-c apostrophe d in new haven and uh, yeah very happy to be here and for today's podcast we're going to give a breakdown of the overall key playoff games for last season. And we're going to go over a preview of what we're going to expect for, for this next up and coming season. So let's get started. So let's start with the Lakers versus the heat. What do you think about it, Mike? Um, you know, I felt heading into that series that the Lakers would probably in all likelihood pull it off. I didn't underestimate the Heat. Um, given what they had done to the Bucks. it definitely changed my opinion of them. I felt that they were pretty evenly matched with the Celtics, and I wasn't surprised uh, to see them win that series, although I would have preferred the Celtics won it uh, just so we could see a classic Lakers-Celtics matchup in the finals. Um, but I had no problem with Miami's victory. Miami was tough. Miami was determined and very resourceful. But given how many injuries they had had, the Bam Adebayo injury hurting them the most, obviously, um, and obviously Goran Dragic's plantar fasciitis, um, I felt that that gave the edge to the Lakers. And really, if um, not for the poor shooting of Danny Green, the Lakers probably would have wrapped up that series sooner. But in a testament to their character, meaning the Heat's character, they stayed alive fought off elimination in game five, but ultimately, um, you know, had reached the end of the line by game six. So I, I guess the result was, in, as far as who was going to win that series and who was going to win the championship, uh, was to be expected. But uh, as far as the distance of the series and how we got to a game six, 
That I can't say, especially after Bam and Gorin went down. I wasn't expecting. The question is, is should it have should it have gone to Game Six? Um, no, to me, I thought it should have been a sweep. So, I I thought that an undermanned roster of Jimmy Butler and and he's only playing with just rookies. Mm-hmm. I find this. Finals victory, very overrated. I think that LeBron, he put up the necessary stats, and you could actually make the case that Anthony Davis should have won the Finals MVP. I can make a strong case for that. He put up great numbers. I think the only bad game that he had was mm-hmm. Game 3, and he was the catalyst for this series. I think that LeBron, he was doing very well. And to me, I just think that they had the far better roster, higher basketball IQ, and it just seems like this finals victory was tailor-made for them. Not only that, like I said, they had only Jimmy Butler, who was the prime veteran, who is not really a superstar. I would say he's a borderline superstar. He's trying to get there, but he's not on a high enough level just yet. Uh, That remains to be seen. I think that Jimmy Butler is very skillful, and he's very good defensively. But the thing is, is that they, they just did not have any match for superstar talent in LeBron and Anthony Davis. And to me, it should have never gone six games in the first place, especially with the injuries and and everything else along with it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair perspective to have uh, Anthony Davis. And even in that game three, that was uh, his worst game in the series. He didn't shoot the ball terribly. It wasn't like he had a game where he was like two of 18 from the field. If, he, if anything, he didn't shoot the ball enough. Because if you look at his statistics from that game, he shot the ball just fine. He just really didn't shoot it a lot and didn't get to the line a lot, which didn't help his cause either. Um, you know, I, I do think that there is uh, some merit to that. Um, as, and uh, even Pat Riley talked about it, you know, basically he was saying had it not been for Bam's injuries, had it not been for Gorin's injuries as well, um, what would that series have looked like with a healthy Adebayo and a healthy uh, Dragic? And it's a fair question to ask because those two had obviously been so pivotal, especially Adebayo, uh, to the reason why the Miami Heat were even in the NBA Finals um, in the first place. Um, I do think that the series probably should have ended in five. I, I think we cannot negate uh, one of the all-time great finals performances uh, in the history of the sport in which Jimmy Butler had that amazing game three. Um, I think that performance should have That's carried right. them uh, to at least one victory in the series because he was amazing in that game three. And if you haven't, for those of you out there that have you know have forgotten about that performance, go back and, and give yourself a refresher because that is truly one of the great games I've ever seen an individual have in any sport. Um, of the four that I follow. But, you know, obviously, I, again, I, I said this on my show, and I'll say it here. Um, Danny Green hits that wide-open three. It ends in five. And so it was tailor-made. But, again, in fairness to the Lakers, in fairness to particularly Mr. James, when you have a situation in front of you like that, it, it, it can go both ways. Either he doesn't take care of business against a team that's depleted by injury and the slanders through the roof, and rightfully so, or... 
He takes care of business. He does what he's supposed to do. He beats a team that is is lesser, unfortunately, because of the injuries and and people deride it. So it's kind of been a you know it's a no win situation there. It's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But obviously, I think he'd rather have a fourth ring as opposed to a three and seven record. Uh, of course, of course. I mean that is the uh, the end goal. The end goal is winning. You can only beat who's in front of you. Uh, but I would say is that. It was a fifth seed that they were facing. So um, that does not really look too good that a fifth seed pushed LeBron this far. And not only that, at the end of game six, I saw something else that was really um, not good Mm -hmm. to see. LeBron playing in a blowout in the third quarter. They were up by at least 30. I felt like some of the other players should have been uh playing uh like J.R. Smith or um or some some players on Deion the bench Waiters. that may have deserved to have Deion Waiters or you know just maybe even Giannis Antetokounmpo's mm-hmm. little brother should have had a you know a shot at playing because this may be his last time being in the mm-hmm. finals so um so yeah, that's that's what I think. I don't think that I was fair for the other players to to not have a chance to play. I so, think yeah. that's also. I think well, in fairness, and in, in, in reference to what you said about the four or five seed earlier, I, th- I believe in fairness on on that first front, the 2010 Boston Celtics. Uh, granted, obviously they had uh, uh, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett. But they were, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, either a four seed or a five seed. They were one of the two. It might have even been a five seed. And that team went on to take the Los Angeles Lakers uh, seven games and one of the best NBA finals I've ever seen. Um, so sometimes it's it's not, you know, as, as Rudy Tomjanovich once said after the six seeded Rockets won the championship um, in 1995, you can never underestimate the heart of a champion. And so when you get to the playoffs, seeding doesn't matter to me because, again, I'm a Knicks fan. The 1999 New York Knicks, they were an eight seed. Um, and got to the NBA, got all the way to the mm-hmm. NBA Finals. So uh, the seeding, I don't think, plays that much of a role um, because you, you beat who's, who's in front of you. But on the second front, um, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's uh, it's a pride thing because you, you, any mm-hmm. player, no matter if you're a player of, of LeBron James' stature, you're a bench player like uh, Giannis' little brother Costa, Santetokounmpo, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, you want to you wanna be able to say that you were on the floor when that final buzzer sounded. That's for any sport. You know, you want to be able right. to say, I was on the field, I, or for hockey, I'm, I was on the rink, or in basketball, I was on the court, when that final buzzer sounded and we were champions, you know, because it, it doesn't matter who you are. That's a great memory to have and a great memory to cherish. And could Frank Vogel have uh, taken his foot off the gas a little bit and let some of those guys have their shine, especially when the game was, you know, out, well out of hand by the third quarter? Yes. Um, but as far as being on the floor um, at the end there, um, it's a nice memory to have, no matter who you are. Right. Yeah. Of course. And, but I would say this about that uh, Rudy Tom Jonovitz uh, line: uh, "Never underestimate the heart of right. heart of a champion." I feel like you first have to be a champion first, in order for you to be able to be never underestimated. <laughs> Which they had been, because they had won the year before against my Knicks uh, in '94. Right. Right. So um, let's let's move on to the next series. Um, the Lakers versus the Denver Nuggets. What do you think about I think, that again, one? Again, it kind of went exactly the way 
um, it was supposed to go because, I, you know, it's and, and, and it sounds so cliche because obviously talent plays such a big role um, and that ultimately wins out at the end of the day. But experience does count for something, you know, and, and I talked about it on uh, when right. we did uh, my show. You know, it sounds cliche to have the guy that's, oh, he's been there. You know, he knows what it's like um, because, uh, like I said, talent does win out. But really. In, in playoff time, that experience is invaluable because I, I point to a guy like Dwight Howard. Of course, it would be easy to point out LeBron's experience or even Rondo's experience. But look at Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard has played in multiple Eastern Conference Finals. Dwight Howard has played in uh, an NBA Finals, obviously, when the Orlando Magic got there and, and, and lost to Kobe's Lakers in five in 2009. Um, so having guys like that, JaVale McGee, obviously, and his experience with the Warriors winning championships, it's invaluable because... Sometimes when you're a youthful team and you got as much talent as Denver does, you're kind of so amped up because it's your first conference finals, even in this weird situation where there was no fans and they were in the bubble. You're so amped up. Um, you're so raring to go. You realize the stakes um, that essentially you, you, your, um, your excitement and your being so wiry can work against you because really, especially in crunch time, the team that I would lean more towards is the team that uh, has guys that really know what to do. Yes, I'm sure they're amped, but they know what it takes. They know what they got. They know what they got to do. Like I'll give you a quick, quick uh, hockey analogy. You know, Marty McSorley was a great uh, enforcer. He, you know, an enforcer in hockey is the guy that fights a lot. He talked about that when he was at his most effective as a fighter, it's when he was calm and he knew what he had to do and he was able to go from there. Similarly, in basketball, though they're not fist fighting, obviously. It's the guys that are calm, know what they need to do, and are able to take a, take a step back, take a breath in the moment, and uh, evaluate what the best plays are uh, that are going to win out. And I felt that that was the case uh, with the Lakers-Nuggets series. Experience and a combination of talent, obviously, won out over the, uh, the young bloods. Mm-hmm. Quick question. <laughs> do you think that this series lasts five games if it wasn't for the bubble? That's, a, that's an interesting question. And that's a question that you and I had weighed a lot when this series happened, because obviously, you know, it, it's not only if you're going to Denver, not only you're going on the road into hostile territory, hostile crowd, and you, these playoff crowds, no matter the sport, are so amped up. It's great. Um, you're also heading into a different altitude, which, you know, even if you've been in the league for some time, it, it messes with you a little bit. It messes with your health. Some people complain of lightheadedness. It's a little bit difficult because of uh, the way that uh, Denver, Colorado is set up. And, and there being, I believe, what is it, a foot to either uh, below the sea level or above the sea level, the, uh, or above, actually, because the altitude. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's about a mile. That's why they call it the Mile House City, level. of course. Um, so that being said, right. maybe, maybe it goes... Um, Maybe it goes six. Maybe it even goes seven. I, I do believe the uh, road uh, crowd could have played a role. Because think about it. I mean, I'm not worried about what experienced guys like LeBron or a very talented guy like AD can do in a road playoff game. It doesn't really concern me. I think the guys that would have been affected by that would have been the younger guys like a Kuzma, like a Caruso. You know, the guys that uh, don't really, that were pivotal to the Lakers winning this championship, but obviously don't have nearly enough. Uh, experience and, and and this was their first playoff run so it's a it's a fair question maybe the Denver Nuggets could have done what the Toronto Raptors were able to do um, in 2016 against the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals and that's ride that home momentum to two victories and tie up that series right I mean like to me I don't think that the 
I don't think that this no, would have changed yeah, the outcome. It would have went, went longer than five. I, I think that it still would have been about right. a six-game series, possibly seven, um, because of you never do know about the greatness of Jokic. He could show up and drop maybe about 25 points or, you know, 30 points just because of him being around mm -hmm. his home team yeah. or his home crowd. I feel like that would help. And I also believe that, you know, like the Lakers, like you said, they they had more experience. They had a higher basketball IQ. You got got you have Rondo, who has been in maybe about two finals prior to this one. So he's had uh, he's had an extensive playoff career. So. To me, I, I think that the, the Lakers, they was going to win this series regardless. But I also want to say that that Jokic and Jamal Murray, they're coming, and I feel like they're going to be greater and greater as they mature in this league. So. Yeah, no, I, I think they're on their way. I think they're on the, they're on the cusp. This was their introduction. Um, this was their – and this is not their first playoff run, obviously. They had some experience, and I think, obviously, sometimes in order to get to that level of, um, of uh, eliteness, if you will – you have to go through the heartbreak first. Like I, you know, I know you're a Warriors fan, um, and and so I recall obviously the Warriors losing to the Spurs in the second round in 2013 in six games, and then getting knocked out by the Clippers in that really tough series in the first round in 2014. Those experiences were tough, obviously, but it molded them um, into learning what it took to win. To where you know what, the next year they came back in 2015 and they won their first championship, first of three. And so I'm not saying the Denver Nuggets are going to rip off five straight finals appearances and, and have one of the greatest teams ever assembled, obviously. But um, after losing that Game 7 to Portland at home in 2019 in the second round, and after losing out to uh, the best player of this generation in the conference finals in five games, uh, weird circumstances with this pandemic and all, um, it's something that's that I think has molded them to where they're going to come back very hungry next season. And although I wouldn't bet against LeBron James, um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Denver in their first NBA Finals in franchise history uh, next season. Now we're gonna seg. Now we're gonna segue to um, the Denver Nuggets versus the Clippers. What did you, you think know, about after that series? That game seven. Um, the it, 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 Twitter was hilarious. Like I, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard um, in my life because the the memes that were coming out after that clip after that Clippers. Uh, squad lost that game seven after blowing a 3-1 lead just the slander in general was so, so glorious you know that's a that's a loss that you know there are certain losses for franchises that devastate the franchise you know and um and there's different examples i could bring up like you know uh, I, I hate to go back to it but that that block that roy hibbert made for example or camillo anthony in 2013 game six of the second round the Knicks haven't been back to the playoffs since that that loss, um, you know, it changed it changed the trajectory of the franchise yeah. for the worst. Yeah. Um, and so that being said, the Clippers obviously have enough talent to where they'll be back in the playoffs unless there's catastrophic injuries, which you hope doesn't happen, of course. But to blow a three one lead like that, to have the squad that you did, to talk as much as they did. You know, I forget who said it. I think it was Barkley. It might have been Charles Barkley that said, you know, they walked around like they were three time NBA champions. They hadn't accomplished anything together yet. You know, and, and, and so that being said, exactly. Um, I think their cockiness got the best of them. 
and it was well deserved. And, and you know what? Now they're eating crow, and and you got Doc Rivers. I got the boot because of that. Um, you know, and and well deserved, of course. Well deserved on my show. And and now it's uh, I think the Clippers are best served. They've been humbled. They're best served just letting their game do the talking. You know, you got all this discontent right now. The Athletic highlighted the locker room and 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 some of the players hating the fact that. Uh, that uh, Paul George received particularly special treatment, despite the fact that he hasn't accomplished anything close to what Kawhi Leonard has. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought that it was well-deserved humble pie um, after the Denver Nuggets had, mind you, come back from a 3-1 deficit the previous series against Utah. And here they were again. They were already being written off. And uh, they, you know, everybody was talking about a Lakers-Clippers-Western Conference Finals, and Denver said, well, hold on a second. And I'm glad that they did because now... Again, you know, uh, Los Angeles has been forced to reevaluate. To me, I feel like this puts a, a like, a stop on how we view Kawhi right. Leonard and his leadership. I feel like he's not really the main guy as a leader, which is why they hired right. uh, Ty Lue. <clears throat> I feel like he only dwells in some... I feel like he only dwells with like somebody who has already had like leadership roles or is like talking as a leader, like a Tim Duncan or a Greg Popovich, Kyle Lowry, you know, people like that who are like the backbone in terms of knowing what to say or how to say things. Kawhi Leonard, he just wants to play his game. And I feel like way off peak, <laughs> Paul George. Was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. Uh, he was horrific. Uh, there was games where he should have showed up and he didn't. And I also feel like, yeah, Doc Rivers. You know, this is his second. Um, no, this is his third, three-one lead give up. Third, yep. he did it once with the Magic. Mm-hmm. He did it twice with the Clippers, and it's looking really sad for. Doc Rivers, uh, it's amazing how much this 08 finals run that he had with the Celtics really fuels how people feel about him. To me, he's not even on anybody's level. He's not a top five head coach anymore. Uh, he's He hasn't been since when he won and when he went yeah. to the finals in 2010. So to me, I feel like he's been overrated for a while. Uh, he does not really make great execution plays. As you said already, uh, he does play favoritism. And to some degree, it does make sense. But the thing is, is that, you know, when players like Montres Harold and uh, Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly, who have never accomplished anything but getting to a first round exit, I just don't really understand why they feel so overconfident, you know, overconfident or want to be the man with Kawhi or want to be the man with Paul George. Paul George, he is an Olympian. He's right. been to a couple of conference finals. You know, he should seven. be more respected. Mm-hmm. Took LeBron to a game seven. But the thing is, is that, you know, Matres Harold, I feel like he's not as good as people say that he is. Uh, we will expose that later on. Um, that's my take. 
Um, that may not be yours, but that's my take. But I also feel like I feel like the Clippers have definitely taken a step back. And I feel like this is a time for them to make the learning curve in order for them to become better players and leaders. So um, let's move on to the Mavs versus the Clippers. That what do you think series, about that series? Again, I, I felt that the Clippers had enough talent to win out despite, I mean, they, they played that series pretty much, or they won that series, I should say, in spite of Paul George. Um, Paul George did have one game. I believe he had like what forty six points in one of those games. What was it? Something like that. He had he had a great game, um, in 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 one of those series. But yeah, and, and I know I think I think it came out afterwards that he was battling some sort of ailment physically, which hampered his output. But that always comes out. You know, guys are always banged up at that at at the point of the of the playoffs because you know it's a long season. But um, that being said, um, you know I I felt that. It was going to be difficult for the Mavericks to essentially play with just one guy. And Luka did a great job. He had that crazy buzzer beater in Game 4 to tie that series up. He was fantastic. He did a, he did his job. He did as, as well as he could. Um, but I talked about it a little bit on my show. I mean, I, I believe they were missing Porzingis, uh, who was up and down throughout that entire regular season. But obviously when he's on, it, it helps a lot to have him there. And uh, ultimately, I think, I think it was just a, a classic case of uh, the better team just winning out. The Mavericks, they admirably hung in there, uh, took them six, uh, did as best as they could, but the better team won in the end, and, and that's that's how I would chalk up that series. Yeah, this series honestly, should have been a sweep. That, that honestly. Meter. It probably is. Or no, they will, yeah. yeah. Five games, yeah. Or five games. But the thing is, is that the Clippers, they like kind of like struggled with guarding Luka defensively and even Porzingis when he was there. It's very possible that that the Mavs could have won this series. Very possible. If um, Porzingis con- continues to play. Because they possibly already had one game three. And then right. Porzingis gets ejected. So it's looking really like sad for the Clippers in terms of the series that they could have lost. Um, but they ultimately did experience the ultimate loss. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't really I, feel I too bad for the yeah, Clippers. After all, like on I said, that after end. all that they talked about, you know, and this, that, the other, and I get it. Yes, the yeah, hype train and I'm glad you mentioned over that. the top. I'm telling you, everybody got in the finals and winning championships. I even had them winning. Me. Right. <laughs> I'm not a narrative guy. But the thing is that I don't normally get my finals picks wrong. I don't normally get certain things wrong. I'm I'm normally like on point with it when it comes to knowing who's gonna come out of the West or the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, even my sleeper picks were a little off too. I was a little um thrown off by it. The Clippers they really did have their heads all the way up to the max. Okay, they had their heads filled all the way up just because that they had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's execution that has to happen. It's listening to the coach, which the coach was non-existent in right. terms of what he wanted to do. So I can understand that, but um, it's just you—you you must do better. Yeah, no, yeah I, I, so, I, I understand, and, and so, that's yeah. um, 
definitely something that rings true. And and listen, I, I, I do understand the hype to an extent because obviously you're adding uh, the reigning finals MVP. You're adding a player uh, like like George that even yeah, even though he had understand. a bad exit with OKC and they got done in by Dame Lillard um, in that 2018-19 postseason, um, it's still Paul George. Still, It's still, as you said, an Olympian, a guy that took LeBron seven games and reached two Eastern Conference Finals. So there's there's understandable hype, and after years of being the Lakers' little brother, and even it's kind of like the Knicks and the Nets in New York, even though the Knicks have sucked for the better part of 20 years, um, they still dominate the back pages. It's more, the back pages will, will tell you something that the Knicks didn't do, as opposed to something that the Nets did do, and it's kind of the same thing out in L.A. And so when you finally feel that you have an even matchup, and you have even squads, and there should be even attention paid, it's understandable for a fan base that hasn't experienced much success to get uh, hyped up and, and the media played a part in it too and, and that's why I'm glad you mentioned the hype machine because I think the only reason besides uh, I think the only reason that Doc is perceived as favorably as he is uh, besides of course winning in 2008 with that that great Celtic squad um, is because you know the media he's friendly with the media uh, same thing with Daryl Morey you know they're friendly with the media they're buddy buddy with all the writers out there if they were these arrogant guys which I'm not saying they should be you shouldn't be conduct yourself that way if they were these arrogant, blowing off the media, I'm better than you, basically condescending, cocky, typical athletes or, or people that work in sports, um, then the perception would be, well, a little bit based more in reality. But uh, unfortunately, a lot a lot of people in the media don't operate uh, in the world of reality. Right. Moving on. Let's go to the Rockets versus the Thunder. What did you think about that series? Uh, to me, and this is, one, this is one of those series where I really missed the fans, um, and I really missed the travel being back and forth. Because think about right. this for a second. And, yeah. and it's not like, it's, it, it's granted, it's nowhere near the level of Durant leaving, and, uh, excuse me, in 2016. But you're talking about, basically, w- when you think about the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise, there are... You would say three, but there's two people that come to mind instantly when you think about that franchise, which is Kevin Durant, love him or hate him out in OKC, or Russell Westbrook. And maybe there's a spot reserved for James Harden, too. Um, And if you're a diehard, diehard OKC fan, Nick Collison, because he was there for so many years since the beginning. And so that being said, you're talking about a franchise legend, somebody that meant so much to that community in Oklahoma City, the guy who stayed, the loyal one, quote unquote, um, that gets traded away. And in comes Chris Paul, a veteran who actually played in Oklahoma City for a little bit, knew the city a little bit uh, because when the Hornets were relocated after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, that's where they played. So he goes back to Oklahoma City. Uh, The Thunder have a 0.1% chance. I mentioned this on on, on our uh, half, um, on my show, uh, that they had a 0.1% chance of making the postseason according to the odds makers. Here they are in the postseason with Chris Paul going up against Russell Westbrook, now in Houston, a franchise legend. And so when you have a situation like that, imagine the hype that, or imagine what that crowd would have been like when here's this beloved former franchise figure um, coming back now to play in his old stomping grounds in a playoff game. Like, that would have been great drama. Um, And it turned out to be a great series anyway. Um, But I I did feel that despite Chris Paul's experience, despite obviously the emergence of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was acquired in that Paul George trade, um, again, same thing with Mavericks Clippers, the better team won Mm -hmm. out. Say what you want about Westbrook, say what you want about Harden. The Rockets should have won that series. I don't think it should have gone as far as it did. I applaud the Thunder for taking it to a game seven. But um, ultimately, the better team won. Yeah, me neither. Yep. 
Yeah, I agree. I feel like the more experienced team won in terms of playoff experience. I mean, uh, Russell Westbrook has been to a conference finals um, and finals. And also, I would say that James Harden has been to a couple of conference finals himself. So I feel like the better team won. And um, Chris Paul, he's just playing with a whole bunch of players who have, I would say, uh, no experience of, of being uh, where they want to be in terms of, uh, you know, upsetting players like that or teams like that. Uh, but I would say that Steven Adams, he did have that type of experience, right. but he was the only person with that experience on this roster. It definitely would have been better with the crowd. And I feel like, you know, just Chris Paul or anybody pushing it to seven games, teetering, tottering um, with the with the crowd and things like that, shot after shot or defensive play after defensive play, that definitely would have been great Um for TV, um, to see the crowd silenced or roaring or things like that. That stuff definitely would have worked out. Right. Um, but the better team won. So let's move on to the Eastern Conference, the Heat versus the Celtics. What did you think about I that series? I mentioned him on uh, the other episode. And uh, it, it, Julius, shout out to you once more, my friend. Um, <laughs> the poor guy was in agony, and I think he represented all Celtics fans. And I'm like, well, poor Ju- somebody check on our man, because um, I texted him afterwards, and 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 I'll clean up his response. Uh, you know, basically consoling him, and he he got back to me. He's like, how do we not make the-? basically the general gist of what he was saying in the text is, uh, how do we not make the finals with four All Stars, man? It's unbearable, and. You know, that, that, I think that was just, <laughs> that series could have went either way. Because this is not, it's, it's a unique roster to where I don't know how to sum up the Celtics because I, I would say they're young, and they are, but I can't say they're inexperienced because they went to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals with LeBron James just a couple of years ago. Um, you know, this is, this is a Boston Celtics team. I would agree. Made, I think this past season was their third Eastern Conference final trip in the last five years, which is very, very, which is very impressive. It always hasn't, it hasn't always I been the same so. team, obviously. Um, but it's been, um, so, you know, it's some, some of the parts of, of uh, each run have remained. And, you know, that series, I think, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, well, Gordon Hayward had a bad series. Um, Kemba Walker had a terrible series. I think if those two... Yeah, there there wasn't any. He choked all the way up, but yeah, the the reason why is because uh you know this is his fourth playoff series, so but I I don't think that he's gonna get any better. Well, um, maybe maybe the like the more experience so... he has, like now that you understand, generally speaking, of course, oh this is what it's like, this is what I gotta do, because even without the fans, the stakes are are still high. Obviously, you're playing for a trip to go to the NBA Finals, um you know so. I think now that he understands what a, not just a, I'm going to go to the first round as an eight seed and get my doors blown off by the one seed. Everybody knows he's going to win the series, barring something catastrophic or unforeseen. Uh, but rather, no, we're a contender. We're one of the favorites, and, and this is what it takes to win. I, maybe he uses, similarly to Denver, because Kemba's still, you know, he's, he's playoff-wise, he's still very young in his experience, um, having not been there too much. Maybe he uses this to improve. 
Um, but I think had he played a little bit better in at least one of these games, uh, the series could go a little bit differently. And, and uh, obviously the same thing goes for uh, Gordon Hayward. So that's what I chalk it up to. The Heat made shots, especially in game six, that, um, uh, that the Celtics did. And the Celtics were bad from three-point range for a majority of the series. And that game six, I think what highlighted the fact that the Heat were going to win this thing was when you have 85-year-old Andre Iguodala putting you away with three-pointers. I'm like, if you have Andre Iguodala with his cane and his walker hitting threes, like this is uh, 2000, yep. you know, uh, 2000, yeah, like it's 2015, and he's in, uh, with the Warriors winning the finals of MVP. At that point, you just got to fold up shop. So that's what I chalk it up to. You know, the Celtics, not all of them, but... They're two main guys. They're two money guys, two max players, and Hayward and Walk and uh, Kemba Walker. They didn't show up. What? Yeah, I definitely agree. But you know what this tells me? This tells me that Brad Stevens is not a take you over the top Why type of coach. That? That's all it tells me. I think that no, of course, well, I think that he he lost to the better coach. Experience than he does, and then you have to factor that in too. I mean, this is a guy that's coached. Well, prior to the Heat making this, excluding the finals appearance the Heat just made, this is a guy that's coached in in four NBA finals, winning two of them. And he and he hasn't. He, he's he's a basketball lifer because he's been with the Heat way longer than that. I mean, he started out as their uh, as their film, essentially their film guy in the mid '90s. So he's been around. Um, his case is kind of like um, osmosis, if you will. He's absorbed not the knowledge of a Pat Riley. Stan Van Gundy coached the Heat for a little bit. Obviously, say what you will about Stan. Stan's a smart guy and a, a pretty solid coach in his own right. He absorbed that. Then Riley was coaching it, and then he got a shot. So when you're around smart minds like that, deep thinkers like that, and great players, of course, like Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway, Dwayne Wade, Shaquille O'Neal, um, and later LeBron James, that experience is invaluable to where once he got the kind of roster that he got, which was full of a bunch of team-first, scrappy players, uh, I think he, I think Eric Spoelstra stands for. There's only a few guys in this game, in this in this league that I I can say in both conferences that Eric Spoelstra is on even footing with and can't out coach. You know, and Brad Stevens is obviously not one of them because he doesn't have nearly the uh, wealth of experience that Mr. Spoelstra has. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but like I said, you know. Yeah, you can say that. The Celtics, they had a far sure, more yeah. talented roster. Far more talented roster. Um, the thing about the Heat is that they didn't, right? And they were able to kill them with threes. And they had confidence from uh, Tyler Hero, which was very huge for that team. So, and also they had uh, Goran Dragic, who was also getting buckets as well. Um, so, I feel like if Brad Stevens was a better coach, they would be in the finals. So let's let's move on to the Heat versus the Bucks. How bad does this series look bad. for Giannis? Um, for, I, I do think, in fairness to him, he, he got absolutely royally hosed um, at the end of that game too with that phantom foul call on Jimmy Butler. That was just such a an atrocious call by the refs. I mean, you can't call that at that point in the game. You know, Bob Bob Ryan, who's a legendary columnist for the for the Boston Globe, uh, has this rule in which he says every ref should know this. And I'm paraphrasing. You know, they they are they are not here to watch me. They are here to watch the players. 
the less I am seen, the less I am heard from, the better. And it's true because at that point in the game, unless it's something obvious, unless, you know, you, you make a guy bleed, for example, um, swallow your whistle. Swallow your whistle. Unless it's something blatant, don't call it. You know, and that was such a ticky-tack call. And this is why nobody likes the refs, because the refs make it all about them. And, you know, they did. They, that's another example there. So, but that said, you know, Giannis, of course, he missed time with the sprained ankle, and that hurt, too. Um, and he couldn't go, which obviously is going to hinder them greatly. But um, it's, a, it's a bad loss. You, you can excuse the loss of the Raptors to an extent in the conference finals in 2019 because, hey, you know, listen, Kawhi Leonard... Uh, a perennial playoff, uh, a consummate, I should say, not perennial, a consummate playoff professional, uh, a proven commodity in the postseason. You tip your cap, you know, uh, and he got schooled and he got he got burned big time by Kawhi. And hey, you can forgive that. It's Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is, a, uh, I think most people would agree, Kawhi Leonard is on equal footing, if not better than Giannis Antetokounmpo. But to lose to this uh, Heat roster, all due respect to the Heat and the great run they just had, it reflects poorly on him. It sure does. Sure does. But the thing is that this only tells me is that he needs to work more on his moves. Uh, I feel like he needs more post moves. He might even need to go over to Hakeem Olajuwon or Shaq or someone to help him get a jump hook or get better post moves in the paint to better his uh, his dominance because he could play. But the thing is that he just always does the same move, which is the euro step. Yeah, he's predictable. Or he's predictable. the spin right or spin left to the rim. Yeah, yeah, sure. He's very predictable. Very predictable. So I feel like if, I mean, if you end up, you know, working on those moves, then that'll open up the other areas, which is the mid-range shot, which he's not afraid to take shots. So I feel like if those things would have just worked out, then they potentially would have won know, this uh, series as well. I do think, of course, um, and he's, so, he's yeah. working on it, at least like I said uh, before, you know, I, I know he's not afraid to take these shots. I know he's not afraid to work on them, but he has to, and I'm sure he is. Um, he has to improve on his three-point shooting. You know, he has to continue to work at that because, again, I, I know we bemoan the fact that the NBA seems to be nothing but three-pointers now, but it's you have to adapt with the times. I mentioned Brook Lopez previously. Brooke was uh, your consummate uh, back-to-the-basket big man that was, you know, your classic, uh, basically 90s, 2000s big man. But he altered his game to include three-pointers, and he's turned himself into a tremendously valuable player as a result and really resurrected his career as a result. Giannis is not, you know, obviously his, his career is not in danger. I'm not saying that. Um, but if he doesn't uh, really work on his three-pointer and make it a, just as lethal a part of his game as his ability to penetrate and score inside the paint, well, then, again, it's going to be the same story come playoff time again because teams uh, teams scheme, teams figure out certain things defensively, and teams are easily are going to be uh, able to easily adjust to it. And that's what happened for last series. So let's move on to um, mm-hmm. the last one, which we're going to try to speed this one up. The Raptors versus uh, the Celtics. Julius uh, will love us for this one. What do you think about that series? Previously, we have to make it up to him because after previously um, clowning the Celtics for some bad series losses and whatnot, we ought to give him some praise here. I mean, Pascal Siakam had a terrible game seven yes, but the Celtics did a tremendous job in that series. Tremendous job. 
I thought Tatum was great in that series. I thought that, you know, every time the Celtics needed to hit a big shot in that game seven, um, they did. Uh, every time they needed to get a big stop in that game seven, they did. Um, that, to me, say what you will about Brad Stevens, he coached a great series. And, and it's two great coaches going up against each other. Obviously, Nick Nurse has done a, a heck of a job in Toronto to this point. Um, you know, and I, I felt that that was a really well-executed performance for the most part um, by the Celtics in that series, and it, it was well-earned. I think whoever won that series was going to really have to earn it. It went down to the wire. It was a very well-played, hotly contested series, and I felt the Celtics earned it. They did, they did a great job. This series only tells me that the Raptors were missing Kawhi Leonard. To me, if they would have had Kawhi Leonard, they possibly would have beat the Lakers. So, um, so yeah. But I, I also agree. I think that Brad Stevens, he did coach a, a very good series against against his team. Despite having a more talented roster, this probably should have gone at least five games. Um, but it didn't because of the heart of Kyle Lowry and even Pascal. Up until Game Seven, yeah. which where he uh, ultimately choked. Uh, I feel like this team is gonna definitely get better, but I don't see them getting back to the finals. Maybe a conference finals later on, like way later on, but mm-hmm. I don't see it happening anytime soon. So because of the absence of someone who would have made them even better for this mm-hmm. run, which is quite so. So let's move on to the Eastern Conference and Western Conference preview. Um, let's start with the Eastern Conference. So who do you have that's going to be in the um, one through eight obviously seed? Obviously, everybody knows the New York Knicks for the Eastern Conference. Um, and winning the championship. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I wish. I, I, I mentioned this um, on our show. I, I have the Bucks. I'll give you my one through eight, I, I'll, um, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Um, the Bucks at number one. I think the Bucks are your classic sure. uh, great regular season team. Um, but obviously the postseason leaves a lot of questions, and hopefully they can answer them. But as far as the regular season, they'll be fine. Their talent is tremendous. I love the Drew Holiday addition. It's a big addition for them. I think it'll help them tremendously. And uh, as a result, they'll take the number one seed. Um, so that's my number one. Uh, number two, I, I still have to give great respect to Toronto. Um, they're they're uh, not a team that I'm going to dismiss. Obviously, losing Mark Gasol hurts them. Um, but I think that they'll be able to survive just fine without him. They just brought in Aaron Baines, who I think is a very underrated big man. Aaron Baines is a very solid player. And I think he's going to do wonders. Uh, down low, especially defensively speaking, for the Toronto Raptors. So they're not my number two. Um, the Celtics, I'll put at number three, definitely a top three squad in the Eastern Conference, and they'll be in the mix as long as they have that nucleus, especially with Jason Tatum getting better and better by the year. They'll always be in the mix, um, and so they're my number three. Number four, uh, given the Eastern Conference is a little bit top-heavy and talent ultimately allows you to get some of those top spots, um, I'm putting... Well, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put the Heat at number four, the defending Eastern Conference champions. Uh, they'll be my number four. 
Uh, number five, I'll give uh, over to the Brooklyn Nets just because of the reasoning I mentioned earlier, being a top-heavy conference. If KD and Kyrie uh, stay healthy enough and have good enough games, uh, they'll get the they'll get the five seed. Six, I'll put the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. They have enough talent to get there, um, and and it, we'll just have to see if health is on their side, especially for Embiid. Uh, seven, the Washington Wizards love the Russell Westbrook addition. Um, I mentioned last podcast, I want to make a quick correction. I said Thomas Sadaransky was still on the team. That's a lie. He's on the Bulls, so that's my mistake. Um, but Bradley Beal is there. Um, Russell Westbrook, of course, and him, I think they'll mesh well. Plus, Westbrook's back with his old coach from his Oklahoma City days, and that's Scott Brooks. So I think they'll uh, be a great tandem. And number eight. Um... Okay. Um, mines are the Bucks at one, the Heat at two. I think I believe that this team is going to make uh, a very good leap again. They might even get to a conference finals. The Heat. I'm going to put the Raptors at three. The Celtics at four. The Nets at five. I don't really believe in this team that much. I think that they are a second round exit. The Sixers at six. The Pacers at seven, and either the Hawks or the Magic at eight. So that's my pick for one through eight. We were experiencing some technical difficulties on the podcast, so now we're back. And right now we're going to get back to where we left off, which was who do we believe will be the biggest disappointment out of the eight teams that we picked out of the Eastern Conference. So, Mike, you can go ahead. I think probably, you know, and, and it's tough because I, I don't I don't know the level of expectations that people really have for Brooklyn, especially for a 32-year-old coming off an Achilles tear. And a twenty or a twenty-nine, thirty-year-old that has a history of um, knee problems, leg issues, which obviously for a point guard is not ideal for any player. It's not ideal, but especially for a point guard. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. I think people. I don't. I don't know. I. I think out of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, um, you know, I think that's the team that's probably most set up for um, for disappointment. I, I. I wouldn't put the Heat there. Because I think people expect the Heat to be in the mix. I think people expect the Heat to kind of be where they were last year. And if they take a little bit of a step back, okay, then maybe you can throw them in, the, in that. But I, I, I think people believe that the Heat are going to be a, a solid squad. And if, they're, if they don't succeed, I guess you would have to chalk that up to injury as opposed to underperformance. Brooklyn, it's not that I think that Durant is going to underperform or Irving is going to underperform. They looked pretty good in that preseason game against Boston the other day. Obviously, it's preseason. It is what it is. But still. Um, that said, um, I, I do think that this idea they're going to go t- run roughshod over the Eastern Conference and, and pull off a run a la uh, Jason Kidd and Kenyon Martin when the Nets made back-to-back finals in 2002 and 2003 is far-fetched to me. Um, so I, I, I think if any team out of the eight that we picked is due for uh, eating some humble pie and facing some disappointment come playoff time, I think it is the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I would agree. 
I think that the um the Brooklyn Nets they have been far too favored by everybody, by the media, by the Colin Cowherds, the Nick Wrights, um, the Stephen A. Smith, um, the Max Kellermans. Uh, a whole lot of people have favored the Brooklyn Nets to get to the finals just off rip. Uh, Rob Parker as well. Mm-hmm. And to me, they're not going to get there. I think it takes time for a team like this to be able to mesh in terms of execution, uh, leadership. You don't know who, who you don't know who is a leader on this team. Mm-hmm. Have no clue. And this team could be just resulting in a lot of one-on-one baseball, and that may not work. Uh, it may be the same thing as it was with Russ and KD. And that's not what KD wants. So, and I also think that they do have a very good bench. They have a lot of tradable assets. And they might try and make a, a run for James Harden. But I don't see that happening either. So, I think this team's ceiling is the conference finals. But to me, I'm expecting for them to be out by the second round to the Celtics. So because of the maturity of Jason Tatum and I would say Jalen Brown. And I would also say that Brad Stevens, he's more experienced as a coach than Steve Nash is. Mm -hmm. So, and Steve Nash, he also did do something incredibly wrong. He revealed his game plan for Durant which is playing him all five positions. And that wasn't smart to me at all, because if you want to be able to surprise everybody, just do it secretly. I'm secretly not have everybody have their notebook out already and have everything prepared right before the season even starts on how to defend them defensively. There's this great meme, um, it's a SpongeBob meme where it, it, there's this episode where Squidward is. You remember that episode where Squidward's taking that order from uh, Bubble Bass and he's just like going on and on and on. And Squidward just looks up, you know, he's writing on his paper and he says, We serve food here, sir. I don't know if you ever seen that episode. But no. the, meme, <laughs> the meme is a screenshot of Squidward right when he looks up and he's writing on that paper. And I think that that's every coach in the NBA um, listening to Steve Nash because. I don't really think they have a proper plan for the offense. I mean, when Kyrie was talking, and and, and Kyrie talks in like, I I don't I, I don't even think you could. He has his own language because he was in. I don't know if you saw that little clip of the Instagram live he was doing with KD where he was like, and I kid you not, this is an exact quote. He says, "In my past life, I was you." Meaning, he says that to Kevin Durant as they were talking about their offense and he wants to do something like eight post-ups a game. And Steve Nash isn't even really really going to coach like that because they were saying that, you know, I guess the way that it is, it's, it's basically that uh, he, he'll give the players great, almost, not autonomy, but he'll give the players great authority on how they dictate how they want to run the offense. Um, and so he has Mike D'Antoni on the staff, I believe, and D'Antoni will have a hand in what they do offensively as well. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But, uh, yeah, playing Durant at all five positions, I understand small ball. You know, maybe it can work. I think D'Antoni used to play Amari Stoudemire, who was a natural four at the five sometimes during the heydays of the Phoenix Suns. 
But, again, a 32-year-old coming off an Achilles tear, I don't know if I want to do that. Right, exactly. And I also feel like this season is far too rushed. Um, yep. I can see that multiple players getting injured quickly within, like, the first, like, 10 games just because of how rushed the season is, basically because of the preparation that it takes for players to get to where they need to be. And also, I would say that they need to be in preseason games. I would say that they need at least about two weeks to a week and a half more of preseason games to help with the, uh, the betterment of team chemistry and also um, fatigue and things like that. You got to be in basketball condition. Right. So I feel like that definitely would have helped right. the Nets or or any any of the teams out there. And may I recall, um, if I, I mean to cut you off, may I recall that, that you know, that 2011 lockout um, that limited the 2011, which uh, 2012 season, which began on Christmas Day uh, to 66 games which led to a lot of injuries, the most notable one being Derrick Rose's first torn ACL. And obviously, um, this one's a lot different because at least in that summer of 2011, it was crazy because you had guys like Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant showing up to pickup games, showing up to Rucker Park, the legendary Rucker Park, out in uh, the Harlem section of New York City. And they were able to stay in basketball shape, if you will, by getting some game action. This is not the same case. You can't really travel. It's strongly prohibited. Obviously, there's only in-market play to limit the travel amidst this pandemic. So you're going to see a lot of guys go down, and hopefully it's not to the severity that we saw guys go down in 2012, most notably D. Rose. Right. So let's move on. Who do you think is going to be, like, the team that's going to to burst out for, forward in this 1-8 uh, Eastern Conference uh, Playoff season that you have. Hmm. I mean, I really can't say any of the teams that were in the mix towards the end last year because if, you, if you're in the heat, I can't put you in that conversation because now the expectations have been raised a little bit to an extent um, after the finals run. Not too much because I don't want to contradict what I said earlier, but there's there's a level of – they're supposed to be good. Same thing with the Celtics, the Raptors, the Bucks. And I'll throw Brooklyn in there given the two big names that they have. I really – I really want to see the Wizards do well. Because, yeah, I mentioned Westbrook being back with his old coach and Scotty Brooks. I mentioned Bradley Beal being there. Um, but they have this kid, I mentioned in uh, the previous episode, Denny Advija, who was drafted at number nine. And I really love Denny's game. I, I was hoping that the Knicks would take him. I'm not mad the Knicks took Obi Top, and I'm not, I, I don't really care. It's a, that, I, I like the top and pick. He's looked very good so far. But Denny Advija was another guy I would have really wanted on the Knicks because his passing game is so crisp. It's so advanced, so mature. His shooting, I, I can't really give you a big in-depth scouting report on his shooting, but um, it didn't look bad when I watched him. I, I, if there's a team I really want to see have a nice playoff run, or at least look good in the playoffs, it, it's that team. Because I think Denny Advija, uh on the, on the floor, especially if they bring him off to the second unit, and there's instances throughout the season where him and Beal are on the floor together, or even him and Westbrook on the floor together. I think that's going to do wonders for their offense. And and so if there's a team I'm kind of low-key rooting for on the side besides my Knicks, it's the Wizards. I really want to see the Wizards make some noise this year. 
I could see the Bucks bursting through and getting to the finals this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that they are poised for a better run because they have Drew Holiday, and I could see them definitely pushing past. And I could see Giannis getting way better um, than he did last year. So, and he's only twenty five, so it's not like he's in his prime of his career, which basically starts at the age of twenty seven. And it ends somewhere around the age of 33, 34. Right. So this is what I'm expecting from the Bucks. I can see them getting all the way to the finals this year. And that's about it. So let's go over to the Western Conference. Who do you have as your one through eight, Mike? I'm going to stick with the, and I know this was a, a source of great controversy previously. I can't buck the Lakers from the, no pun intended with the Bucks, of course. Uh, I can't buck the Lakers from the one spot. I, I have to show uh, deference to the defending champs. I did, I do think they got a little bit better. Uh, say what you will about Montrezl Harrell, but I, you know, obviously he's not some game, he's not, he's not the game changer people make him out to be, but he's not a bad guy to come have coming off your bench either, especially as, as a guy that just won six man. Um, so I think he helps their cause off the bench. Um, they got Dennis Schroeder, and again, same thing. Is Dennis Schroeder a, a, a life-changing, franchise-altering, league-changing figure to bring in? No, but he's he's better than uh, what they had coming off the bench previously. So they got a little bit better on the bench, so I think that that helps their cause. Um, and I think that ultimately uh, that'll, that'll allow them to keep the one seed as long as LeBron and AD stay healthy um, and, and give their usual output. I'll, I'll keep Denver in the two spot. Actually, they were Denver was three last year, so Denver, mo- you know, I'll move them up. Yeah, and I moved them up previously on our rankings in the last episode. Denver is my number two. Um, I'll I'll put the I'll keep the Clippers at three. I think the Clippers are still a top three team, even with the loss of the uh, Harold. They're still they'll be fine um, as long as they stay healthy again. Four, I believe I mentioned who did I mention as putting at number four last episode? I'm trying to recall. Who I had? It was the Warriors. Yeah, it was the Warriors. You're right. Um, I, I even with the devastating loss of Clay, Steph is back. Uh, Draymond is is still a factor, and I I think James Weissman in Steve Kerr's coaching system is going to blossom. Um, are they going to be a team that I think uh, channels uh, what they had during the dynasty years? No, because the personnel is different and obviously not nearly as good. But they'll be a playoff team. I think Steph will carry them through. Um, and I think that they'll be a four seed. Number five, I put the Utah Jazz. Cause just pretty, that's pretty much where they've been um, the last few years. And 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 we'll mention this a little later. They have uh, they brought back um, the baguette. They brought back uh, Rudy Gobert on a supermax, which we'll, we'll talk about a little later. So they'll they'll stay the five seed. That's pretty much where they've been throughout Donovan Mitchell's tenure there. Number six, I believe I put the that I put the Houston Rockets at six. Think so. I it might have been them or the Dallas Mavericks. I'll put the Rockets at six. The John Wall addition helps. Um, John Wall's looking good for, so far. Uh, it looked like he, you know, didn't lose too much in the two years he was off. Maybe the two years off actually helped him. Who knows? All that time off recovering, maybe you know, it it, it saved some years, added some years to his career. Who knows? We'll have to see. Um, so I'll put the Rockets six. I mean, as long as you still have James Harden there, you're always going to have a shot. You're always going to be in the mix. Seven, I'll put the Mavericks. Porzingis' injury doesn't help them. I do think they're due for some sort of regression. Uh, uh, not Luka, obviously, but the rest of the team. And I think at number eight, I, I, I well, number eight, I put the Portland Trailblazers. 
it could either I'm be disgusted them. with your number eight. <laughs> it could either so. be them or it could be the Phoenix Suns at number eight, honestly. I'm disgusted with that one too. Very <laughs> overrated team. Um, Save so, it for the slander session. Not yet. Okay. Um, so, so my one through eight are the Nuggets at one, um, the Clippers at two, Lakers at three, mm-hmm. because I don't believe that LeBron really takes the regular season seriously. I don't think that he ever really has. I believe that he only has taken it serious maybe about twice in his career. Um, I think he won about 60-plus games in Cleveland one time. Twice. I think Back it was in twice. Like he... Okay, maybe twice. And then he did it with the Heat once, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think that he takes the regular season that seriously. So that's why I have them at three. Also, I do not believe that they have made – Great acquisitions as well. Hmm. I believe that I believe that their acquisitions were average. Four, I have the Warriors. Five, I have the Mavericks. I have them stepping up this um this year. Six, I have the Jazz. Seven, I have the Rockets. And eight, I have the Grizzlies or Pelicans getting into the playoffs. That's fair. That's fair. So, who do you think is going to be the biggest disappointment? Um, that is a, an excellent question. Hmm. The biggest disappointment in the Western Conference. I mentioned this before. Well, I think the Mavericks are due for a regression. Um, mm-hmm. Do I think Luka will still put up great numbers? Yeah, I don't think Luka's going to have a, um, a sophomore or not a sophomore slump, because this is going to be his, his third season. I don't think he's due for any kind of regression period. I think he'll be fine. But I, I don't think that team is as rock solid as people find it to be. I think they still have some glaring holes, holes that have only been exposed by Porzingis' injury. And even if Porzingis is healthy, obviously you're talking about a situation, unfortunately, where, um, meaning when he's on the floor, of course, that you know you never you can never count on him to stay healthy, A, and B, uh, you can't count on him to always be a consistent producer of offense. His defense is not very good. He's not a great rebounder or shot blocker. And he'll have games where he looks great and he'll score 35, 40 points. Um, but he'll have games where he looks atrocious and he'll shoot the ball like 2 of 13 or 3 of 14. And he doesn't compliment Luka well at all. I never, I never think that they've meshed. I never, I've never thought, I should say, that they've meshed well to this point. Whenever on their, whenever they are on the floor together, and again, as I said last episode, when you have a seven foot three big man with the history of uh, knee problems and leg problems and a previous ACL tear, uh, it lends great cause for concern. And so I think if any team is due for a bit of a regression, um, it's going to have to unfortunately be the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, not only that, I mean, like the Mavericks, they also have a lack of, I mean, not the Mavericks. Porzingis has a lack of motor. Right. Um, and you're definitely right about the door about the durability part as well. Mm-hmm. But that also does has a problem with the Nets as well. Kyrie Irving, he's a, he's consistently injured all the time. Consistently, uh, I would not be surprised if he misses maybe about ten games next season to fifteen. And Kevin Durant, he also does have a history of being injured as well. Um, not to revert back, but I'm just adding that in mm-hmm. to players that have histories 
of being injured highly. So my biggest disappointment are the Lakers. I just don't understand why everybody has the Lakers straight in the finals. I don't see it happening. I believe that everybody will be shocked when they are not there. I will not be, but that is my prediction that they will not be there. Last year, you can make the case that the Lakers had a tailor-made finals run. This one is far different. They will not get to the finals this year. So this is my prediction on that one. I also see that LeBron will definitely hit father time. He should hit father time this year. And I also believe that, you know, it's going to be hard for Anthony Davis to carry this team. And I also believe that there's going to be some chemistry problems with the presence of Montres Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. And, you know, Wesley Matthews not being able to hit shots. I think that he might replace the Danny Green um, in terms of choking. So, to me, I just believe that the Lakers will be the biggest disappointment. And let me just briefly talk about the finals run that um, LeBron had. This is the most easiest finals run that he's ever had. I feel like LeBron... He had a very easy finals run. He went up against the bubble MVP and Damian Lillard, which that's the only type of high recognition that he's ever going to get in his career in terms of getting an MVP, which is 82 games to 72 games for this season, or going to a finals or conference finals, which he did go to, but it was... C.J. McCollum, who hit them shots to get them there. So he got right past a star, not a superstar. So, and that will be a segue into the slander session, but that's not going to happen right now. As for the next series, it was the Lakers versus the Rockets. Now, that series was, it was not really competitive because of the absence of not having a crowd and not going back and home. Back, back and forth. I feel like if that series was was um, was better uh, or if they had the crowd or whatever, it probably would have gone six to seven games. And then I would say the Nuggets, I would say that that series could have been a six, six or seven game series if they would have had the crowd and and the ability to go back and forth to each location. So... And then you have, like I said already in the previous part, I said that the Heat um, run was actually very easy and they should have swept the Heat. So, and that didn't happen. So that's just a brief, you know, reoccurrence of how I think of what this type of uh, run was. I don't really think it was that good. His third easiest was the Warriors one. So I believe that that one was the third one because because LeBron, he had the most talented roster in the league. They should have swept the Warriors. They should have been 73-9. and nine. The Cavs should have been. Steph is not better than LeBron, right? Right, yeah. And then after that, then you have Kyrie offsetting Steph, uh, injured Steph, I might add. 
right? And then after that, then you have Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love offsetting Draymond Green. Okay? That's all they had was one superstar. Okay? They did not have two and three other superstars. No. They just had one superstar. Okay? And they did not have a super team. Okay? They just played very well together because of the camaraderie that they had from last season, which resulted in a championship last season. So I believe that that is his third most difficult series. And to me, um, like this, this series was not an underrated series for LeBron. Uh, like I said before, LeBron, he had the most talented roster. And not only that, um, he does not take the regular season that seriously. So that's always been proven. I would say that his second best uh, finals run is probably the 2013 going victory. Going seven with the Pacers, going seven with San Antonio. Seven with the Pacers. The Bulls right. even in the second round then, uh, in the tough the series. One. Right, exactly. The number one would possibly be the uh, 2012. Oh, that's the ultimate. That's the, that's the that, best. That's the ultimate, right. That's the ultimate. Uh, you know, he was down 3-2. He showed all the grit in the world. He did everything that he had to do. He dropped 45-15. And he played the, and on the road in the Celtics' house. And he played the best version mm-hmm. of himself. Now, I will add that the Celtics were old and they were washed <laughs> up. You know, it's very funny. Very funny how everybody wants to try to come at Michael Jordan for having a, um, for having a run against a very old Pistons team and things like that, which is a lie because pretty much Isaiah Thomas was 29. Joe Dumars was 28. And I think that Dennis Rodman was 30. I believe that he was 30. So that's a lie. And then after that, they want to say that Michael Jordan had a very, he, he had went up against a very old Magic Johnson. When Magic Johnson was second yeah, in MVP that year. Not been for the HIV. And he yeah. was 30 years old. So, yeah. So, I mean, to me, I would say that LeBron's championships have all been a little bit favored to some type of degree. Um, but I'm not going to say that he's not a top five player because he is. He's a top five player of all time. And I have him at number five. So. Right. Yeah, no, that, that yep. about uh, sums it up. Yeah, 2012 was definitely the ultimate. And not only that, people forget the Pacers took them six uh, in the second round. Pacers gave the Heat a very hard time um, in that 2012 uh, playoff run. It's an underrated aspect of it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. Right. So, and my team that will surprise everybody would possibly be the Nuggets or the Warriors. That may happen. Um, I think that I, I believe that the Nuggets can get to the finals this year. I believe that they can go on a 2015 finals run. It can happen, especially with the chemistry that they were able to develop over last playoff series. So I could definitely see that happening. And as for the Warriors, I could see them getting as far as the conference finals. That's about it. That's fair. Yeah, no. 
Now let's segue to a rapid fire area, which we'll start with. Who do you think will win the MVP? I think Giannis. I mentioned this last episode. I think Giannis three peats. Um, he's in some elite company if he does that. Uh, it's a two conference award. I mean, obviously, if yeah. LeBron James goes out there and has a great season, um, he's going to be in the, in the mix in the discussion though. But um, I'd have. I, I really don't see besides James. I really don't see any other reasonable candidate. Um, could somebody emerge and surprise us? Yeah, sure. Of course, that always happens at sports. But I, I don't see any other reasonable candidate besides number 23 out in Los Angeles um, to knock off Giannis. I think this is Giannis' award to lose, really, in my personal opinion. I don't see LeBron even being close to being MVP status um, with that one. Um, like I said, I think that final time will hit him this season. So um, that's just my opinion, opinion on him. As for my MVP, I believe that it will be either between Jokic having a great season or Steph Curry having a tremendous season, uh, you know, putting up great stats. So those are my two MVP candidates that I will put up there for next season. Yeah. Um, coach of the year, who do you believe will be coach the of the year? Sounding biased as a Nick fan, but uh, I have to stick with Tom Thibodeau. I, I think if Tom Thibodeau can can get these kids to um, really play some consistent uh, fundamental basketball, and and I, I don't expect the Knicks obviously to be a playoff team this year, uh, but if the Knicks look great or not great, but if the Knicks look good, if the if these kids are playing at a high level, if these kids are are looking like they're really developing, um, you know, and the Knicks go out there in a seventy-two game season and win thirty games. I think you have to give some consideration to Thibodeau, uh, for sure. Uh, and I'm hoping that that's the case as a Knicks fan. You know, the, these young guys, I like them a lot. Emmanuel Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, uh, R.J. Barrett is there. Opie Toppin's looking really good so far. Um, so, you know, if Thibodeau can do what he did in Chicago and get these young guys to reach their ceiling, um, I think you have to give him coach of the year. Okay. Mine will be Steve Kerr. I believe that Steve Kerr will definitely... Um... Show, show everybody that he's a mm-hmm. elite coach still. And that's that's my pick for coach of the year. Uh, as for rookie of the year, who do you think will be rookie um, of the year? Mike? I mentioned, I think it'll be, well, I mentioned him earlier, I love his game. I, I run the risk of sounding like a fanboy, but Denny Apija, uh, Denny Apija out in Washington, I think he's really impressive. I think he's NBA ready. He had some experience playing pro ball in Israel, which helps a lot. So, um, you know, I think Denny Avicho with the Wizards is going to surprise some people this year and, and really put out a great rookie season. I think he'll take it. Okay. Mine's is Lamella Ball. I believe that he's going to have an even better season than his brother. Uh, I think that he could score and play make very well. So, and that's what I'm expecting from him. Now we're going to segue to the ESPN's top 10 list um we're gonna do a little breakdown on it it's gonna be very brief and who we think should replace or should these players be still there uh for where they have them so at number one they have lebron at number two they had ad at number three they had Giannis. at number four they had luca and number five they had Kawhi. and at number six they had kd at number seven they had dane 
At number eight, they had Steph. At number nine, they had James Harden. And at number 10, they had Jokic. So go ahead and, um, you know, just give your perspective on that really quickly. And then we can move on to the next segment. The list is not even that bad. Because I understand why they put, like, Curry, because mm-hmm. obviously he's missed a lot of time with injury and whatnot, having the broken bone in his hand. So I understand why they would slide him and KD down, because obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, when they're healthy, they would be much higher on the list. But I still, um, hmm, I would have put Harden, they had Harden at nine, I would have put Harden ahead of Dame. I would have put Dame at nine and Harden at seven. I understand why Curry's at eight. I understand why KD's at six. Um, so that, I mean, if I'm looking at this list, I mean, yeah, on the surface, I'd be very tempted to say, well, move Curry ahead of Dame because we know Curry's a better player than Dame. And as far as right now, obviously, they're talking about this upcoming season. Curry has to kind of establish himself again because he's missed so much time and get back into a rhythm. So I understand that part. But I guess if I had to look... I guess the only two things I would change is I would put Harden in front of Lillard, and then I would put uh, Kawhi in front of Luka. I don't think Luka belongs at that particular ranking. Um, he's in the he's in the top five with right now as far as best players um, in, in in the league heading into this upcoming season. I mean, you can't ignore what he's done to this point, but to put him ahead of Kawhi. Um, that that I wouldn't do. That's a bit of a stretch for me. Okay. I mean, like, this is how I would put it. I would put LeBron at number one. KD at two. And then I'll put Steph three. And then I'll put Kawhi four. Yeah. And then, um, and then I would probably put James Harden five, and then I'll put Jokic six, Luka seven, AD eight, and yeah, so that's that's how I would kind of arrange it. Just because of um, you know, like the four players that I named, they're they're the superstars of the league. They have gone to the finals. They've won championships. They've done it all for these past five years. So this is why I would um, put those players in front. And I would put Dame last on this list because he hasn't proven anything. And I'm not going to go too hard on Dame just yet. I'm saving that. Um, But uh, but like I said, uh, it's just... You know how they decide to construct this list. Um, I mean, if they if they want to go off of injuries, then KD and Steph shouldn't even be on the list. If they want to go off of playoff experience, and Luca yeah. should not be at four. So, yeah. So that's that's just how I view it. And Dame should definitely not be ahead of James Harden because James Harden was further. In the playoffs, he went further in the playoffs than Dame did. So, and Jokic should definitely be above Dame. So, because Jokic has went to the conference finals, and he played better than Dame did. So, let's move on to um, free agency talk. 
Um, this is going to be very brief as well. Let's start with this. So John Wall for Westbrook, which team got the be best one, out of the trade? Say, I think this might be one of those. Well, you know, as far as the pick swap, there was a pick swap. Okay. The Rockets can get a draft pick, so that helps. Um, you know, you get, I think they got a first out of that. So, or maybe, maybe it was the first, maybe it was the second. I should say, but it might have been the first. So the Rockets were kind of cat. They're kind of strapped for picks because of the reason, like Chris Paul that trade, and you know the Westbrook trade and whatnot. So. Um, getting a pickback does help, but I think this might be one of those trades where, you know what, both teams benefit, benefit I should say, because, uh, you know, I think, like I said earlier, Westbrook's going to help the Wizards a lot, and Walls look pretty good, so, um, you know, that's a, that's a hard one, I think, it, you know, and they'll both, again, jury's still very much out, but I think this might be one of those trades where both teams can say, you know what, that worked out well for both of us. I would pretty much agree with that. Um, I don't really have a comment on that one. Um, you know, I would like to see Westbrook uh, do well in the Eastern Conference mm-hmm. and see how he would uh, transition to that. Love it. Let's move on there's to so Giannis staying. Um, what do you think about that? You know, there, there's so much AAU type vibes in the NBA where guys are always looking to team up and recruit each other, and then there's really no loyalty to the organization that drafted you. Like guys like. The late great Kobe Bryant, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, staying with one team their entire careers um, is becoming increasingly, increasingly rare. Um, and so to see, I don't know if Giannis will stay with the Bucks uh, his entire career, uh, but obviously at least for the next five years he'll be with the Bucks unless he demands a trade or something like that. So to see him stay, it, it's nice because it's a refreshing throwback to a time when guys were, again, a lot more loyal to the teams that drafted them because back then guys only got traded when their teams were getting ready to rebuild. Um, otherwise, they'd stay. Um, but now it, it's not like that anymore. Guys demand trades like sometimes two years in uh, to their careers. And, and so to see him stay and for the Bucks to not have to go through this whole season like the Cavs went through in 2009, 2010, where is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Anytime that they would visit one of these cities, could he be playing in this city next year? Could he be playing for this team or that team? I think it's going to help them greatly because it puts a lot of extra pressure, unneeded pressure, creates a lot of awkwardness, um, and ultimately it creates a lot of distraction. And now with him signing this extension, uh, you avoid all that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would say that Giannis, he's mm-hmm. in a very good position. He's only 25 years old. And I think it's only going to work out better for him. And besides, I mean, he could choose to leave at 31. Right. So, I mean, you never do know where he might go. And that's still in the middle of his prime. So, I mean, he's definitely in a great position. And I'm happy that he definitely decided to do what he did. Uh, let's move on to... Will Harden get, get his way? Yeah, eventually. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they don't want to go. Maybe they don't end up in the destinations of their choosing unless they have no trade costs. Um, like, for example, I, I don't think Kawhi had Toronto. Let's be honest here. For as great as that worked out for him and for the franchise, uh, that being that franchise being, excuse me, the Toronto Raptors, of course, um, I don't think he had them at the top of his list <laughs> uh, for where he was looking to go when he requested a trade out of San Antonio. So Harden, he'll get his way. He'll get his uh, wish to be out of Houston. There was a report saying that he wasn't swayed by John Wall's arrival in Houston. But will he go where he wants to go? Well, listen, the Rockets have all the leverage right now. You know, that's the thing. And they're going to play this smart, I think. And they're going to wait for the right offer to, uh, just like they did with Westbrook, 
they're going to wait for the right offer to come along. And if you're going to make a trade for James Harden, it's going to cost you. You know, you're, you're going to have to pony up. Um, and so they're going to wait for that team to pony up, give them a king's ransom, and they'll trade them. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, this only tells me that James Harden well, is a quitter. he's been there for eight years. He's been so in that's all, for eight years. That's all it tells me. Since 2012. But, it's a long time. Yeah, but still. Still. like That's true. Yeah, but he's in the middle of a contract. So I don't think that he should do that. Uh, just because it worked out yeah. for Paul George doesn't mean it's going to work out for you in the same way. It yeah, can send you true. anywhere. So, so yeah. Does the Serge Ibaka trade become the solution for the Clippers? Serge Ibaka trade. You know, I don't I don't think they'll go that route. If he's a better player than Avita Zubak, he's a better player down low than Mar- Montrezl Harrell is. But I still think there's going to be a lot of emphasis placed on Kawhi and PG to where will he have a role? Yeah, he had a great role on the Oklahoma City Thunder backing up Westbrook and Durant. He had a great role on the Toronto Raptors backing up um, uh, Kawhi and, and, and Kyle Lowry during that championship run in 2019. Here, I think, it, oh, actually, you know what? I, I, I hate to contradict myself, but I'm, I'm going to here. I think it does become the solution because despite the fact that Paul George, of course, still has to um, have that renaissance, I, I'm hoping he'll have. And obviously, they just have to be more consistent come playoff time, and there has to be better cohesion. To have a guy like that down low who's a good rebounder, a good interior defender, has worked on his shooting a lot and has improved at it, it certainly can't hurt. So I do think it's part, what I'll say is it's part of the solution because the ultimate solution is going to be if Paul George shows up. Right, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, but the thing is that... Serge Ibaka, I would say that he yes. he eliminates the locker room drama that was mm. placed from Montrezl Harrell. Now, I feel like all they need to do is just trade Lou Williams, and then they will be in an even better position in terms of, you know, just like the chemistry-wise and um, camaraderie of the team. So I, I, think, I think it will definitely work out better in terms of moving forward. You know, you got to get all the toxics. You got to get all the toxins out uh-huh. to <laughs> put the water in, put it like that. You know, um, I, I couldn't really come up with anything at that point. So I'm just saying put water in oh, sure. and that'll clear out all Thank the toxins. So. So the last one is, um, did the Lakers make the best I mean, moves? The offseason was so limited because teams couldn't really spend like that because of this pandemic and how it's really crippled the market. Um, so you have to give it to them. I think they've bolstered their bench. I mean, Harrell, again, I think people overrate Harrell a little bit and his impact on the team, but it can't hurt. He's obviously an improvement over um, what they had there before. Um, so he'll help out significantly and as the reigning sixth man of the year. And I do think Dennis Schroeder helps as a backup point guard. So, you know, as long as they're used in the right ways, like, for example, Frank Vogel used to wait Howard beautifully this past season. Hopefully he does the same thing with that. So in a mar- I mean, you kind of have to give it to him by default because in a market that's so hampered by coronavirus and its impact on not just sports, but the world as a whole, um, ultimately you kind of have to give it to the Lakers for having made the best moves. I would disagree with that. Um, I would say that they made 
average moves. Uh, I think they lost a a veteran, a great high IQ basketball player in Rondo, who was a catalyst to help win this last year's championship. He was a very key player. They lost JaVel McGee and they lost Dwight Howard, who were very good at with their athleticism and they definitely helped in terms of uh you know just making the right moves at certain points defensively. And I would also say that they you know they, they got older in terms of uh, getting Marc Gasol, who's 36 years old, I don't think that he can muster up the same amount of productivity as he did in his previous years. I think that his time has passed him by. And then they also have Dennis Schroeder, who is decent, but he's not hes not who everybody thinks he is. He's not a savior point guard for the Lakers. And I don't think that anybody's really viewing him like that, but... I do think that there will be a chemistry problem because LeBron, he normally wants to be the point guard. So that's going to be an issue. And I heard that Dennis Schroeder will definitely want to start Mm -hmm. and bring the ball to the floor. So, and Wesley Matthews, very inconsistent player. Uh, He's a journeyman, but um, he's not very clutch. And I think that he would definitely fail um, this team, like I mentioned previously, I believe that he's going to be Danny Green 2.0 or 1.8 because nobody can match Danny Green and not be clutch at a certain point in time. Even though that Danny Green used to be very impactful early, earlier in his career, even last year with the Toronto Raptors, he was very impactful. I mean, he was hitting threes out of nowhere, but this version of Danny Green is terrible. So, and Tokyo they still Heat. have him on the team. Oh, no, they don't. No, well, they he don't. was hurt. In fairness, okay. you know, he was hurt. Yeah. Yeah, he got traded. So that's, that's good. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, in fairness, he was hurt. Yeah. But he still did not deliver, even though he could have. All right. Last but not least, out of these all of these segments, our favorite segment, we're going to kind of go a little mm-hmm. bit quickly, uh, the slander session. So we're going to start with who are you taking as far as decision making in terms of in the clutch? Oh, God. J.R. Smith, JaVel McGee, uh, Nick Young. The thing is, J.R. has a history of, you know, for as, for as crazy as he drove me during his Knicks years, he has a history of coming up clutch. You know, he does have a history. He was great in that game seven against the Warriors back in 2016. So if I had to take anybody out of those three, and they're all NBA champions, by the way, which sure is the hilarious part. Nick Young, they, Nick Young got a ring with the Warriors. Um, I'd, I'd yep, they to are. That is definitely funny. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to take <laughs> JR too. Um, JR Spliff. JR Spliff. Uh, right, but he I would put uh, Javel McGee number two. He was very impactful for the Warriors. Uh, yeah, he did a very good mm-hmm. job, and he actually increased his, his value as a player. Yeah, so um, salute to Javel McGee becoming an even better player. He definitely uh, mm-hmm. got himself out of being a Shaq in the yes. fool. And, and um, obviously, we got Nick Young number three. Yeah, so. 
Uh, number three. No. Do you believe that oh, Dane no. No, has no, no, proven no. himself and to be his a superstar? Record. No. Um, he, he's he's uh, he's done a, a, a good. It, listen, he's had a nice career. He's had some moments here and there, but he had that. It, literally, the only reason it's kind of like Doc when we were talking about earlier when he won. The only reason people really perceive him a certain way, or one of the reasons, is because of that 2008 championship. Only reason people really perceive Damian Lillard a certain way is because he hit that buzzer beater against the Rockets and that buzzer beater against the Thunder. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing that's how it. two that's shots can alter somebody's career. He's, ahead, he's had a nice career. He's done a good job in Portland. He's going to have his number hanging from the rafters in Portland someday, and deservedly so. He's a great all-time player for that franchise. And he might go down as the best player in that franchise's history someday, depending on what he accomplishes. Who knows? But that being said, um, you know, really, it, it, it's um, I, I can't put him in this upper echelon that other people do. I mean, he's really perennially been the Warriors' whipping boy come the postseason. I think how many times have the Portland Trailblazers lost to the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs? Like what, four, three or four times? Steph yeah. is a ten and zero against Dane, right? Ten and zero, but he's eight and zero without KD. So, and to me, I mean, like everybody always want to talk about the roster that um that Steph has and things like that. But listen, Dame's only win mm. against the Warriors was when Steph it's wasn't like even an, there. And, and I and I hate to you know that's that's interesting, I, right? I hate to put my own Very team down, but it's kind of like when the Knicks beat the Bulls in 1994 in the playoffs finally. When Michael wasn't there, like yeah, it was great. You know, the Knicks won the series; they made the finals that year. But Michael wasn't even there when they finally did it. Right, right. You know, I mean, I think that um, I think that Dame, you know, he's very explosive, um, but he's just not on the level of Steph. Uh, I mean, like I said, I mean Steph. I mean, he's won uh, a lot. So, I mean, he's gone to five um, finals, and not only that, he's also swept Dame badly. I mean, he averaged 37. He almost averaged a triple-double on him. So, it it really did look bad on Dame. And the thing is, is that if Dame was as great as people say that he is, he would do better against the elite teams. The, The two teams that he hit the buzzer beaters on were mediocre. Um, they were not expected to win a championship that year. So, and to me, also in the yeah. 2019 the series, Blazers were leading in all four of those. He games. also choked. Um, he, yeah, right. He was up maybe about 15 to 17 points for mm. three out of the four games, and he choked all three of those games, and they were all very close. And this is without KD, Demarcus Cousins. And Steph just straight up dog walked them. I think the people they overrate Dane, you know, like Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, uh, you know, Nick Wright, mm-hmm. uh, a whole bunch of other people, Shannon Sharp. But he's really he, he really is just proper. He really should be just a number ten level player. That's all he is. He's at number ten in terms right. of, you know, how how he should be ranked. As of right now, so and and it's a lot of potential for people to surpass him, even this year. 
I don't even see them getting um, into the playoffs this year. So that's my prediction on their team. So let's move on from Damian Lillard and let's transition to do you believe that Chris Paul is a top 10 point guard of all time? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of all the great point guards that have played the game. Um, he's top 15. He's not top 10. He's top 15. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, he's only won seven playoff series. You know, and that that does not look good. And not only that, you know, I feel like every at every least. point guard who's ahead of him has yeah. been to multiple conference finals runs. At least, at least, I mean, Steve mm-hmm. Nash has four. Jason three. Kidd has two finals runs. Yeah, you know, the, he got to the finals the, twice. The, well, three if you count. And the he Mavericks. actually does have championship as well. Three. Yeah. Oh wow. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 But I'm talking. About, right. But I'm talking about as a sole like. Leader, right in his prime, he was yeah, but he but he did win a championship, and he and he did play some impact as well, and I would say that he won a championship. Um, Gary Payton got to a final. Two thousand six Miami Heat, and he actually won a championship as well. But yeah, well, of I'm, course. He was he was a role player, but still, he he definitely played his role very well. Right, and uh, you know, and that just does not look good for Chris Paul's career. The funny thing about Chris Paul is that we're only all going to revere him as being clutch for that one Spurs shot that he hit. Right. He's choked a 3-1 series Josh right, Smith against the Josh Rockets Smith where James Harden was sitting on the bench in game six. Yeah. Yep. Josh Smith was balling. He took over. Yeah. And then on top of that, in game seven, James Harden, he was still playing terrible. And then, like, if anything... 2019 ought to do it for you because, you know, they had the chance of closing out that series um, in game five and in game six because, right, yeah, the Warriors, they had lost KD. Yeah, you can't. And it's like, how do you expect for them to, back, for them to bounce back from that? Um, but they did, and Steph proved that he's he's the better point guard. And, uh, so that's that's just what happened right there, and I, I feel like you know, um, everybody everybody they always want to say that, um, you know, what if Chris Paul got on the Lakers with Kobe? I still don't think that would have worked. I really don't. I think that that would have been a second round exit at best because of them two clashing. Because right, Chris Paul wants to be a Kobe Bryant. But he's nowhere near on his level, you know. And plus, I've heard that Chris Paul he do, he holds he tries to mm-hmm. hold everybody else accountable, but he doesn't yeah. hold himself accountable. So that's bad in terms of leadership as well. So, All right. yep, that's that's me on Chris Paul. Sorry, has LeBron deserved last every MVP won, since his last um, one? Twenty to twenty two thousand thirteen. No, I would say no, 2013. There was years like the year that Steph won. I mean, sometimes players just have these outstanding years. That that year, the Rockets won 65 games. Harden was great. Giannis has been great these last two years. Um, I know there's cases for merit and whatnot, but some. I mean, sometimes listen, it's no fault of uh, LeBron's. It's just the way the voters vote. 
Um, he's, he's, he's just been, I wouldn't say he's been outplayed. It's just other guys have had, there's so much more parity than there was in the earlier portion of the man's career that it's, it's only fair that other guys get the chance to, um, get those awards as well. So uh, maybe the year that Westbrook won it when he averaged a triple double, um, you can make the argument, you can make the case that that would be the year. But then again, Russell Westbrook had accomplished history. Yeah, you can make the case. Now it's, now it's, uh, people are used to him doing that. Yeah. And narrative. He had accomplished a statistical history right. because it was the first player and narrative. Robinson to average a triple double in the season, and so therefore they were going to give it to him. They had no choice, pretty much, or they felt they had no choice to give it to him. How did you feel about the uproar that was uh, given last season about Giannis receiving neither. it instead of LeBron? Because to me, I did not think that, that made any sense at all. I think that Giannis 100% deserved it. I mean, he mm-hmm. deserved. Everything that he got, uh, the defensive player of the year, played better defense. I think that even Anthony Davis could make a yeah. had a better case for the MVP no, instead I of uh, LeBron. Yeah, I so, agree. go ahead and uh, give uh, your take Giannis on that. Was a much better player last season. I mean, I, what bothered me is you had some of these analysts. I'm not going to name any names, um, but um, they tried to make they tried to uh, include Kobe's tragic death into the discussion as to why. Uh, LeBron James should be receiving votes for the MVP and, and his leadership right. in the aftermath of something like that. I mean, anybody could be a leader in the aftermath of something like that. Who's to say Rajon Rondo wasn't a leader in the locker room after uh, the tragedy that occurred this past January? It's crazy. It's about to be a year since that happened. But, um, right. you know, so what, are we going to give Rajon Rondo MVP votes for that? No, of course. Uh, we're not going to do that. So that the discussion, if you if you want to argue statistics, okay, that's one thing. But the discussion went way too far. And statistically speaking, uh, Giannis was the better player, and, and you mentioned his defense, and yeah, that, that factors in. So um, it, was there some cause for merit uh, in in regards to Mr. James's case? Sure, but ultimately, did he deserve to win the award over Giannis? No, he did not. Just just that's that simple. No. And I would also say that, you know, I just feel like every player that has of course, yeah, won the MVP year. has definitely deserved it. You know, KD, KD, he he definitely deserved his. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even, D, even Derrick Rose, he deserved his as well. So the fact that everybody is trying to give LeBron, you know, the same type of... Uh, a claim as Michael Jordan, you know, where, where people would say that maybe like Michael Jordan deserved the MVPs for Charles Barkley and Karl Malone, who won those years, which, I mean, you can make the case for Karl Malone. But, you know, I would tend to agree. But to me, I think that those MVPs mm-hmm. are deserved. So I, I, I would say that. So, right. Yeah. No, for, for, for one of, for one of Karl Malone's MVPs, I would say that. But, but yeah, but that that's about it. No, I mean, no argument uh, here. I think that everybody else, they all deserve the MVP. Um, so yeah. Yep. And that is it for having my guest, Mike Cologne. Uh, he definitely did a great job, as usual. Uh, he does great on his own podcast. And mm-hmm. just uh, continue to check him out. It's called Mike in New Haven. Just want to say thank you and for having me on the show. I Mike, really appreciate it. Do you have it. any uh, last it. remarks? Um, yeah, you can check out the podcast, Mike in New Haven, M I C apostrophe D in New Haven. If you're on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike in New Haven and, and uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five star rate and review. 
Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, thanks, Marv, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And if you want to check out the previous episode that Marvin and I did when he was on my show. Uh... Thanks for listening to the podcast. For the next episode, it will be based on the NFL. Have a great rest of the week. Don't forget to follow the Instagram account called Miles Ahead Pod, which is spelled M-I-L-E-S Ahead Pod. And remember, let's not be inches, feet, meters, nor yards. Let's be miles ahead.